You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Victoria Blake is the publisher for Underland Press. Thank you for joining me, Victoria. Yes, good to be here. Victoria, you started out at Dark Horse Comics. That's a, a big firm. They're very important in the graphic novel world. Tell us a little bit about your stint there, how you started there, and what you did. Well, Dark Horse is based in Portland, Oregon, where I live. Uh, I started as a proofreader and copy editor, uh, freelancing for them. And when they expanded their comics line also into prose, uh, they brought me on as an editor. Um, so what I did for them is I I edited their prose novels, so I didn't do any actual graphic novel work or comic work. Um, I was in charge of the Aliens and Predator lines, which were fantastic and a lot of fun. And I also did their Lankmar series, um, Fritz Lieber, classic swords and sorcery, and um, a collection of Playboy interviews, which also was a lot of fun. I actually had a couple of those Aliens books, and, and those were pretty good. Did you do the one with, uh, I think, a Mark Verheiden that was illustrated, a really gorgeous kind of hardcover book? No, I didn't do that one. Oh, well, it, they, they put out some very nice stuff. Uh, so you're here as a book editor at, at what many regard as the premier uh, publisher of graphic novels, and that's a pretty good place to be. What made you decide to leave it and strike out and start Underland Press? Well, I think I have a... I think there's a, there's a couple of different ways to answer that. One is probably a personality answer. Um, I think that I saw what the publishing industry was, and I saw what my personal path in the publishing industry could be. And I think that I'm probably ambitious, and um, I wanted to use more of my brain than just the editorial work. So I think I'm a strategic thinker as well as a creative thinker. And the best way that I knew how to put both of those into play was to start my own company. So that's, a, that's the personal reason. Um, creatively, what I saw at Dark Horse was that there are a lot of different kinds of books or different kinds of genre books that weren't being represented in um, the traditional genre presses. And I started to get uh, really interested in that. One of the writers that I brought in to do an Aliens book, um, uh, Brian Evanson, who I met at BEA. He's a traditional, well, he's a, he's a literary author, but he is a crossover author. And he sent me a chapbook um, published by Earthling Press uh, called The Brotherhood of Mutilation. And I read this chapbook. It was incredible. It absolutely blew my mind. And um, that's what actually got, it, got me started thinking about starting my own press, because I wanted to see if I could publish Brotherhood of Mutilation um, in a novel form. And actually, he ended up turning it into a novel um, which will be the first title released by Underland Press in February. Well, so you're working at Dark Horse. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you go about establishing Underland Press? Um, secretively? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, first. no, step by step, nuts and bolts. I mean, you, you, you went, did you buy the, you had to buy a domain name, presumably. You had to... Um, well, uh, the first step was to come up with a name. Mm-hmm. Um, how did I you do gone, that? Oh, I, I went to a ballet. Um, and the ballet was non-copyrighted. It was called Underland uh, with music by Nick Cave. And uh, that really wowed me. It really rocked me. And so I was thinking about, you know, names for a genre press. And I, so I just got this ballet, and Underland seemed pretty 
pretty good. What I wasn't thinking was that there's a genre press called Subterranean, and of course, Underland is exactly Subterranean, um, which was, I think, a small mistake on my part, but sort of funny. Um, yeah, so I thought of I thought of what I wanted to do, which was to start a genre press, not a literary press. I have most of my training in, uh, I guess, quote high literature. I'm currently getting my I'm finishing up my MFA at Warren Wilson Fellow Residency Program. Um, so when I was when I was thinking about the types of books that I wanted to publish, I was also thinking about the types of books that I could market. Um, and I didn't think that I'd be able to sell and market successfully literary novels. Um, why not? Why not? Because uh, why not? <laughs> Probably because I'm not primarily in New York, um, and because there wasn't. I didn't see a. I didn't see a focus uh, that I could express. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, I also think that the literary marketplace is really difficult to break into in a way that the genre marketplace isn't. Mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I think genre readers are a lot more willing to just go with somebody um, and jump in with both feet. I think that's one of the reasons why um, the genre community is so strong. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, again, creatively, um, well, cr- creatively what I saw was that, uh, that American literature has been in a very domestic phase um, for the last maybe 50 or 60 years since Raymond Carver, since Revolutionary Road, um, that sort of writing. And I love that kind of writing. But I also saw that there might be a shift going on. Um, there might be writers who were interested in actually writing about the skeletons in the closet as something real, not just as a metaphor. And I was really, really, really interested in that. So I started. So I, so I wanted to do genre literature because um, I just saw a huge creative possibility, and I saw a marketplace that was willing to accept new things and um, new takes on the same thing. Um, so came up with the name. Um, figured out, uh, well, came up with the name, got a business plan. I realized pretty quickly that I needed to find a distributor, um, that one of the big pitfalls of a new press was that uh, they didn't have distribution. And distribution, or good distri- distribution, is a big bona fide in the publishing world. So um, through Dark Horse, I actually had become familiar with PGW. Uh, we were mm-hmm. first distributed by PGW um, at Dark Horse, but then when the whole... Um, bankruptcy thing happened, we went to uh, Diamond. So I was familiar with PGW. I really liked what they did. I quit my job at Dark Horse in September and scheduled a trip to Frankfurt um, for the Frankfurt Book Fair in October. And I went with the express purpose of meeting with distributors and um, hopefully finding somebody that I could sign on with. And I met with, I think, five distributors in Frankfurt, and I ended up going with PGW. They're fantastic. I'm really happy with them. Um, And also, while I was in Frankfurt, I found two of my four launch titles. Um, so that was a big boon, too, for the press. You know, one thing I wanted to, to, to ratchet back a bit, could you talk about how you developed your business plan? I mean, did you just sit down and write a Word document, a, a spreadsheet? I'm just really curious about some of the nuts and bolts of what you did to convince yourself that you were going to go ahead and do this. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, one of the things you hear about, you hear a lot from people who start their own companies was that if they knew how much was involved when they started, they probably never would have started. Um, I think that I think I'm still in that stage. I'm I'm still getting a glimmering of uh, how much actually I've taken on. Um, 
Before book publishing, I was a journalist, mm-hmm. which, <laughs> when I looked around at journalism and at publishing companies in general, I saw that they didn't really know how to handle um, the internet and what was going on online. Um, so I knew that when I started a company, and especially starting something small like small press that falls into ready-made categories for a small press, I knew that one of the things I'd be bumping up against was um, visibility and legitimacy. Um, so one of my key ideas and one of the key ideas behind Underland is to be an integrated in-print online publisher. Um, as a journalist, again, I was really frustrated by how poorly these big companies seem to handle the Internet. So I wanted to figure out ways with books where I could actually have um, a big presence online. Um, so when I sat down and wrote the business plan, I was thinking about the core values of the company. Um, and I wrote the business plan around that. Um, I also have the benefit of being you know, a small company. Um, I don't have any employees. I contract out all of my work. I knew that was going to be the structure from the beginning, um, partially for economic reasons, partially just for workflow um, and you know, for growth management. Um, so I, I knew that I would be able to keep my costs down, which also allows me to give better deals to my authors, which as a writer and as somebody who's been in the publishing industry, I think that's just probably a really good thing. Um, I don't think I answered your question. How did I write a business plan? I got myself a pot of coffee and I sat down at my kitchen table. <laughs> so um, you've got a business plan. Did you incorporate or have to do go through any legal shenanigans to start this up? Yeah, I, uh, I incorporated um, well, I'm a limited liability company legally, and uh, Underland Press is actually a limited liability company formed under Fourth Chapter Books. Fourth Chapter Books is my umbrella uh, legal entity what, um, that I set in place at the beginning in order to um, plan for my growth. What I hope to be able to do is to replicate Underland's eventual success um, and expand into other marketing areas, or sorry, other, um, other markets. So I, I hope to do literary fiction at some point. I really like cookbooks. Um, I really like nonfiction, really, you know, well-written nonfiction. Um, and I know that I could probably market those pretty well. So, uh, yeah, I hope to I hope to grow into fourth chapter books from Underland. Well, now that's and, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's I mean, that's it's 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 very long term. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of what I mean by being a strategic thinker. Um, I also have the benefit when I you know actually let me. Let me go back and answer that question. When I first started thinking about Underland, I called my parents. Um, there was a wedding down in San Diego. I went down to San Diego. I had my rough business plan in hand, and I sat down with both my mom and my dad. They're divorced, so I had different you know, meetings with each of them. And I said, what do you think about this? Um, I was surprised, and I'd never actually seen my family history in the Gestalt perspective before. Mm-hmm. But what I, found, uh, what I saw was that my mom started her own law firm, my grandparents um, ran a construction company, their own construction company. My great-grandparents had their own flower-growing company. Um, and that sort of entrepreneurial spirit was in my family, sort of in my bones, in my blood. And I didn't really realize it, but once I saw it, I also saw that I was raised with the skills and with the guts to go out and start my own thing. Um, my dad is an entrepreneur and a, a very strategic thinker himself, and he, he loves um, business plans, he loves structuring, he loves the possibilities of it, he gets really excited, really amped up. Um, so I think, my, I, think, I think I 
have the family training, even though it hasn't been book publishing, it has been business. Um, so that was really interesting to see. That that's that sounds like a, a a key component of your you know ability to you know make these decisions and go forward. Yeah, and I mean, just just last week, I called my mom and I was like, "Mom, this is really hard. I mean, there's all this ambiguity. There's all this doubt about whether or not I'm going to succeed. Um, failure is a possibility. is a is an actual possibility. I could lose all of this, you know, time and energy. Um, my reputation is on the line. There's there's a lot." There's a lot of risk involved in this. And my mom said, you know, Torres, you're trying it. You're going for it. And um, very few people in life actually do this. So just enjoy it. And that's what I'm trying to do. Well, it sounds like you're looking at your initial offerings. It sounds like you're already quite successful. So, <laughs> um, Well, define success, too. I mean, that's, a, that's, that's another important business question. How do you define success? Uh, that seems to be an important question, cultural question. Cultural question, point. yeah. <laughs> um, so you, you've got yourself, you go down into your local uh, municipal courthouse. I'm, again, just curious, not having ever done this myself, to mm -hmm. get to, did you contact a lawyer to set up the LLC? Well, yeah, uh, I called the Secretary of State. Um, mm -hmm. I actually probably had to call them about five, well, seven times in order to work my way through their phone systems and actually figure out how to do it. Um, there's forms online. It's actually pretty easy. You just sort of fill out the form. Um, I have a lot of lawyers in my family, so I could talk to them about the legal structure and how to best handle it. I met with an accountant to figure out how to actually set up my books, um, and I, I, so I did it myself. Wow. I just, I just figured it out. That's great. Now, okay, you've got yourself an LLC. You have a business plan in hand. Um, mm -hmm. What did you do next? Next, I went to Frankfurt, and I found a distributor. Oh, right, right. Now, so you've got your distributor. Now, yes. what about authors? How, how did you attract these authors? And they're, they are good authors. Oh, they're great authors. I am so lucky. You are. Uh, <laughs> and thrilled. Um, so, so Brian Evans and I met at BEA, and he and I had about a year and a half uh, email correspondence about uh, crossover literature. Um, before he sent me the Brotherhood of Mutilation chapbook um, and before he started writing the Aliens novel. Mm -hmm. um, so he and I, I think we began to be friends. Uh, and I knew when he... So then he wrote and he said, I've written a follow-up novella to Brotherhood of Mutilation. And I said, that's fantastic. I'm thinking about starting my own company. Can I bid on it when you're sending it out? He said, absolutely. Um, he was also sending it to Coffee House Press. Uh, they decided to pass on it. Um, I was keeping my fingers crossed because that was... I. I wanted to launch with that book. I, I wanted that book. Um, and when he told me that I could have it, you know, for the right price and the right deal, uh, I, like, jumped up and down. I was so super excited. So I found that book based, just based on the conversation that I'd had, the conversations that I had with Brian. Um, and once I had that, I was like, okay, this is a go. This is a green light. Um, the second book I found in Frankfurt, it was Will Elliott's, it is Will Elliott's Pilo Family Circus. Uh, it's a foreign rights, so I bought just the North American Canadian writes for it. Uh, he's an Australian author. This is his debut book. It wowed me. I read it on the airplane. Um, and I was just like, okay, I have to have this book too. So I bought the foreign rights for that. I'd never negotiated for foreign rights before. Um, I didn't actually even know. Well, I still, I'm still sort of figuring it out. But I didn't know what those contracts looked like. Um, and I didn't really know what I was getting into. So I bought that book. It's an incredible book. And the, um, God, this is a really long... Each of these books 
yeah, I guess this is the right answer. Each of these books has their own individual stories. Mm-hmm. At the end of every print book, um, we're in addition to the about the author page, we're also printing an about the book page because of my idea that each book has its own life mm-hmm. as a sort of separate entity. Um, book collectors know this because they follow the lives of the books and they know what the first editions are, they know where the mistakes are, they know where the printing mistakes are, they know where the edits are. Every book is its own entity, and I respect that. And I, that's one of the things that I love about books. I'm, I'm trusting you're going to translate them out of Lauren Ipsum. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. How <laughs> are you published? <laughs> the the yeah. final copies. Actually, I have that copy. I have the about the book copy, um, but we just needed to put that in for the designer, mm-hmm. for the design. Um, yeah, the, 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 uh, the Brotherhood of Mutilation, I think you're referring to, um, that's the, the, the book design on that is, is incredible. Um, I told the designer that I wanted it to be a luxurious read because the, the, a lot of the sentences are really short and a lot of it is, is dialogue. Mm-hmm. And I don't like it when you, know, you see a lot of dialogue heavy on the page and you can't really make your way through it. Mm-hmm. So that book, the pages turn really fast. It's really, the line length is right, the font is right. I just, I think it's a beautiful book. Mm-hmm. And this is Last Days. Yeah, Last Days. Sorry, I, I still refer to it as Brotherhood of Mutilation in my mind. Um, and then Jeff Vandermeer, and he's, he's the fourth. Um, Jeff Vandermeer is an incredible writer. Um, I also know him through Dark Horse. Brian Evanson actually introduced me to him. He wrote a Predator book um, for Dark Horse. Right. He was talking about that recently, I think, online in his blog. Yeah, yeah. I think it might be coming out pretty soon. I, I, I'm slightly saddened because I didn't get to follow through with um, Brian's and Jeff's uh, Aliens and Predator books because I left Dark Horse before those were actually published. So I haven't actually read either of them, even though I, you know, I approved the outlines and I negotiated those contracts, so um, I'm hoping to, to read them. Um, Jeff Vandermeer is writing his third Ambergris novel, um, or novel set in the Ambergris world, and he, he, Jeff is like a force of nature. He, um, he's an incredible writer, but he's also an incredible marketer, and I think he wanted to, I think he wanted to go with a press who was willing to go with his marketing plans. Um, so this is another benefit of a small press and also another benefit of just being myself because I can make these decisions pretty quickly and say, yes, let's do that or let's not do that. Um, so Jeff offered Underland and me the third book in his Ambergris series, Finch, um, and I, I wanted it. I was just like, yes, let's do it. Um, so we're doing that. And I you... haven't read the book yet. Um, Jeff's currently writing it, so mm-hmm. I can't wait to read it. And you have a fourth book, too, by Escober. Is that, uh, tell us about that. That's an interesting uh, acquisition and an interesting uh, kind of uh, project. Yeah. So, so Escobar is the, um, is the writing name of a husband and wife team who lives uh, just outside of Amsterdam and writes in Dutch. Um, it's the first book in the series under Escobar, um, and it's definitely my most commercial title. Um, I just got the translation in last week, so I haven't read that book yet either. Um, although I, in order to bid on it, I gave it to one of my Dutch-speaking friends, and I said, hey, will you read this? Somebody who I trusted. I said, hey, will you read this and tell me what you think? Um, and he loved it, and he said that he'd recommend it to all, all of his friends if it came out in print. So I wanted to, in my first year, I knew that there were, I knew, I knew that I was going to make mistakes, and I knew that I needed to experiment to see what was going to work and what wasn't going to work. Um, Escobar is, uh, or, you know, that book, Chaos, is my 
my attempt at commercial fiction, and I'm really looking forward to learning how to market commercial fiction and to, to go with it, um, because I don't know how to do that yet. That sounds like something that's easier said than done. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, I actually don't know, because you know, sending these books out to reviewers, um, there's there's a legitimacy that goes along with saying, hey, this is, you know, Brian Evanson, he's the chair of the MFA program at Brown. He's written these award-winning novels before. He, you know, he's, he's established in a way, and he's also doing very interesting things creatively in his work. There's a story there that's a, there's a reason why reviewers might want to pick that up. Mm-hmm. With Escobar and just commercial fiction, um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't yet have my mind around how to successfully get review attention and blog attention on that. I think it's a nut I can crack. Um, I just haven't done it yet. Now, uh, talk a little bit about getting it translated. I, I've recently been speaking with translators, so I'm interested in the translation process. Did who did you? How did you find a translator, and how did you vet them? Um, I found the translator through. Um, well, it's actually it's sort of a crazy story. I put an ad up on Craigslist um, for Dutch translation. Um, I, I was talking to uh, a professional translator who wanted to charge $17,000 for the translation. Um, that was above my budget and actually above the amount, the advance amount that I paid for the book. Um, and it seemed a little crazy to me. So I went on Craigslist and I found somebody here in Portland who uh, spoke Dutch and was leaving his translation company doing um, corporate translation um, and wanted to start, I think, connecting people to each other. Um, connecting translators to people who needed to be translated. Um, so he and I sort of developed a friendship and um, met a couple times for coffee and exchanged um, some emails. And through the process of him developing his company, he found um, a guy named Nick Sav who lives in South Africa. Um, and Nick sent me a creative sample and also a translation sample. Um, and the translation was, was really quite good and actually a better translation than the publisher had sent me. Um, Translations are interesting creatively in themselves because of how much you know language negotiation and meaning negotiation um, there is going between the language. So tell us a little bit uh, about your vision for the kind of fiction because it seems that um, all three of all four of these are, are somewhat a, of a piece and it's an interesting kind of combination of slipstream and what in, back in the 80s we would have called horror fiction though that's no longer permitted <laughs> yeah, why is that not permitted exactly <laughs> well it's I think it's the kiss of sales death <laughs> unless you're Stephen King <laughs> um yeah, I mean, the vocabulary is a problem. That name, Slipstream, um, New Wave Fabulism is my favorite. Uh, mm-hmm. That was a conjunction. Right, right. Uh, Peter Straub edited that. And yes. you, you mentioned and Peter, The New Weird as well. The New Weird, right? So The New Weird um, is a collection that just came out from Jeff Vandermeer and his wife, Anne. Mm-hmm. Um, and Peter Straub is actually writing the introduction for Brian Evanson's Last Days. So, right, I, I noticed that. Now, um, in fact, I was impressed by the people you've got to write the introductions for the Pilo Family Circus. You've got Catherine Dunn. Now, oh, she's incredible. Her Geek Love is an incredible book. It's a, it's a, it's a landmark book, and I guess she lives in Portland, doesn't she? She does, but yes. I've never met her. Oh, you've never mm. met her. Oh. How did you find her and get her to write the introduction to this book? Um, 
Oh gosh, this is one of the things that I love about about business and about um, just making it go. Uh, Catherine Dunn wrote the um, the the copy for a Dorothea Lang for the Dorothea Lang Prize, um, and I forget where it came out of. Let me try to rephrase that. Catherine Dunn worked with uh, a photographer here in Portland named Jim Lovinson on an incredible um, photograph and nonfiction essay product, I guess, that ended up winning the Dorothea Link Prize. Right. Now, um, what was I, that book? It was a, a book of crime scene photographs, was it? No, to... boxing. It was boxing. It's called um, Shadow Boxing. Oh, okay. Um, and I, when I was a journalist, I was an art reviewer. Um, for the Oregonian, and uh, I I reviewed the Jim Lomason show um, at a local art gallery here called um, New American Art Union, and the photographs they were incredible. And I wrote <laughs> I wrote a glowing review for the newspaper, and as a thank you, um, Jim Lomason wrote me an email just said you know thank you for the review. I'm really glad you liked the work. Um, and then I'd see him out and about, and he and I became you know friendly, um, and. So when I when I was thinking about possible introduction writers for the Pilot Family Circus, I immediately thought of Catherine Dunn, and um, since I knew that Jim had worked with her on Shadow Boxers, I wrote him an email and I said, you know, long time no write. I hope you remember me. This is what I've been doing since I stopped writing for the Oregonian. Um, do you think you could, you know, write an email to introduce me to Catherine Dunn? So he did. She wasn't interested, um, and I said. I, I said, I totally understand. Um, I know that we're not going to be able to pay you as much as this is worth for your time. Um, but let me send you the PDF, and if you love it, um, then we can talk. And so I sent it to her, and uh, it took her, I think, about five days, and she wrote back. She said, you're right. I love it. Um, I'll, I'll do the introduction. So I was, I mean, I was thrilled about that. Well, let's get back to, to your vision of this kind of uh uh, horror, you know, 21st century horror fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you think that horror fiction is going to be a go again? Well, so let me let me clarify that question. Um, horror, yes, but what I'm describing it as, or Underland as, is uh, weird, strange, odd, and unsettling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, stories that scare us. Uh, according to the Bisect Codes, those are... Uh, Fiction, fantasy, or sorry, not, not fiction, fantasy, dark fantasy, and, and horror. Um, the creative names are what you said. They're, you know, New Weird, Slipstream, and um, what was the other one? New, new, wave age fabu- new Age Fabulists, yes. Yeah, new, new Wave, New Wave Fabulism. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of different things to call this kind of writing. I think that's really exciting. I think it indicates that there's a, there's a new creative impulse right now. Just because it doesn't have a name right now or doesn't have a, a good way of referencing it, I think that people generally understand where this falls. And I think that probably 20 years from now, we'll be able, we'll be able to look back at the beginning of, or, you know, the development of, um, of this kind of fiction. Uh, a the, new genre name, in other words. A new genre name. Yeah, people, people who write New Weird, they don't actually like that, that name. They think that, um, they think that it went, uh, let's see. But I think the, the window for, for the new weird was 1999 through 2003. Mm. Um, Jeff Vandermeer would know more about this. He wrote an introduction about the actual term. I, I'm wondering if you care to comment. It seems to me that 
um, this kind of fiction, dark, edgy, un unsettling fiction that might be horror fiction, might be mystery fiction, might be thrillers, kind of combines aspects of that, sometimes science fiction, seems to become popular during times of economic distress. I'm thinking of the, uh, in the 80s when, when horror fiction was, was really blossoming for one of the first times, you know, in, in my memory. Mm -hmm. a and, you know, that was during the dark days of Reaganomics. And <laughs> we've managed to achieve even darker days of economic uh, woe. Do you mm -hmm. think there's some kind of uh, connection between people's interest in reading about the dark side of life and dark economic times? Um, what, are you saying that I should vote for McCain in order to increase my chances? <laughs> <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have no idea. I mean, one of the things that you learn about publishing is that nobody has any idea, um, and that the, the actual economic data about what sells and when it sells is really poorly kept. I think that's something that people in publishing don't like to talk about, um, but it's it's definitely the truth. BookScan can only really take us so far as far as trends go. Um, actually, if somebody else wants to start a company that is a, a book sales analysis based on exterior indicators, there'd <laughs> 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 be a huge market for that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I heard uh, Charlie Baxter, one of my um, mentors, he told me once that people read more nonfiction in, in times of economic um, plenty and more fiction in times of economic scarcity. So I'm thinking that maybe it's less horror fiction and it's more fiction in general. And, I think and, people just, mm -hmm. they like to escape, right? Yeah. Actually, yeah. I wonder if the same thing goes with television and movie watching. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, we, we certainly have entered a, a, an age of escapist entertainment. I mean... Irrelevant, yeah. largely. Uh, well, also, I mean, if you look around at the at the cultural vocabulary right now, mm -hmm. we have some very, very strange movies and television shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, shows that emphasize that what we don't know and how how little we suspect of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And 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 pretty gruesome and um, dark. You you've got four titles uh, in the can now. Um, could you talk a little bit about um, th the look that you're developing and also about the website? You've got a, a wavel. Is that the right, mm -hmm. <laughs> right term? Wavel um, uh, going on here from Keel and Patrick Burke. How did you decide to publish him in that manner? And, and also, um, how can readers who haven't been reading it thus far start from the beginning? Mm hmm um, well, there's a button that says <laughs> start from the beginning. Um, the website and the wobble. So Underland Press is aiming to be an integrated imprint online publisher. Mm -hmm. Actually, when you say imprint online Underland, there's a nice um, preposition thing that goes along with that. Um, preposition? No, that's the right word. Um, the website... We're just about to go into the 2.0 version of the website, um, which will include, you know, podcasts, author interviews, um, and anything else we can think of that will be cool and, and add to the reading experience online. Uh, the Wobble is, here's my little pitch, a Wobble is a web novel. Um, to our knowledge, it's the first of its kind. The idea is to have a, um, an installment a week, 
every Monday with a binary plot branch point at the end of the installment and a vote button so that the readers can vote on the plot as it's unfurled, <clears throat> excuse me, as it's unfurled in real time. Um, so voting is open from Monday to Thursday. The writer writes uh, the advancement of the wobble um, over the weekend and we repost again on Monday, um, except for this Monday because of Hurricane Egg. Um, Keelan had to take care of some hurricane business. Um, the reason why Keelan Patrick Burke is because he, uh, I was really interested in him and his work. And um, when I started Underland, he and I started talking um, about possible projects. Um, he's young. He's, I think he's 32 or 33. Um, he understands the Internet. He understands the possibility of it. And he was excited creatively by the possibilities of doing this kind of thing online. Um, I think he'd been web serialized before, and he knew more or less um, how to do that. So he was pretty excited by it, about the idea. Um, his wobble is ending pretty soon, in the next five or six weeks, and we have a next wobble lined up, um, Jamia Jefferson, who was published through Leisure a lot for her vampire novels. Mm -hmm. And she's going to be writing a dystopic, um, futuristic novel about a mother and daughter who are linked telepathically, and the daughter gets abducted. Um, I'm very excited about that. Um, so how do people start from the beginning if they haven't been following it? Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's a good question. Because um, I actually looked at it today and I got the notice that it was, um, you know, it was he was taking a vacation and, you know, the, the vote button was, uh, does this suck or does this not suck? Something right. along those lines. And, and so I voted, but I could, I was, you know, intrigued to get it back. And I'm wondering, do you foresee uh, eventual uh, dead tree publication of the web work? Um, that's a possibility. Uh, and it's actually, I think probably your question goes, goes um, to the heart of the difficulties with publishing online and the difficulties that publishers are having with figuring out um, the rights and how to negotiate that. The way that I'm structuring it and the way that just seems fair to me, and that's a big, that's, a, that's an important point because uh, treating authors well and fairly mm -hmm. with their work is really important to me and um, is part of the Underland core mission and core values. Um, anyway, the way that it seems fair to me is to pay the authors for the privilege of watching them write and watching them write in this way, but not buying the rights for mm -hmm. the end work. So with Keelan, I paid him a, um, a flat fee for writing online. Mm -hmm. um, and after, the, after he's finished with the wobble, the, the entire thing will be his to edit, to change, to not edit, but to shop around as he wants to, um, with the understanding that he'll offer it to Underland um, for, for, for bid, um, an eventual dead tree publication, um, if, if he wants to. Well, that's now that's a, a fascinating uh, business plan, and, and it's uh, pretty interesting to uh, think about and look around at how some people have fared. I know Cory Doctorow over at Boing Boing swears by, you know, mm. giving away his work online because mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, like myself, will, will read a bit online, but mm -hmm. typically I like prefer to have you know hold the physical book just because I like physical books. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Now. Uh, are these so? These are going to be trade paperbacks. Wait, more, just another point about the wobble. Mm -hmm. um, the wobble serves a, a, an important role in in my business plan, um, and actually the website in general. 
um, I want to offer online content, including the Wobble content, but short stories by the paper and ink publishers or paper and ink authors that we're publishing, um, podcasts by those authors, um, and also additional authors that we might or might not be publishing. Basically, a lot of stuff that's of interest to readers within this category, mm-hmm. because I want people to come back and return to the website and to um, actually have Underland as a content site on its own. Um, the reason why that works is because I'm hoping that the people that like what's on Underland and like what they've read will also buy books from Underland and from the Underland website. Mm-hmm. Um, so the business model, it's, it's almost like marketing. Um, like the Wavel is almost like a marketing for Underland and getting the word out there and getting people interested and getting them to come to the website. Um, we're adding probably 10 to 15 people a week an installment um, on our email list. If you sign up for the email list, you'll get a, um, a notification every time that the, a new installment goes up. We don't do any spam. We try to keep it just you know the once a week. Um, and you know news about Underland too in the same email. So when our first books come out, um, we'll, the, the readers of the Wobble will be the first people that will be able to uh, to buy them and also to buy the limited first editions um, with the author signatures on them. Um, so it's all going to be integrated, and the people who who like Underland and want to come back and keep reading what we have, um, they'll be treated better. Well, that sounds like a, a, a good plan for the readers who are, after all, your ultimate customers. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's just an incredible community, too. I mean, every time I put up um, an installment of The Wall I get emails back. Um, and there's a really interesting comment thread right now, too, about the voting mechanism and what the votes mean. The interesting thing to think about with the Wobble is that, like any creative endeavor, different authors will be able, will treat it differently and will do different things um, with uh, technological possibilities. Like, for instance, one of the writers that I was talking to about a potential Wobble that didn't actually come through, she, um, she was talking about a binary plot branch point that included this setup. Let me give you the setup. Um, a super, super assassin uh, is trained to go out and obviously kill whoever the, the bosses tell her to kill, the super assassin to kill. She goes out um, in pursuit of a terrorist. When she finds the terrorist, she discovers that the terrorist is a 12-year-old boy. The vote then is, does she kill the 12-year-old or does she not kill the 12-year-old, even though it's her, her mission? So there's a moral choice with that as, long as, uh, as well as just a, a plot choice. And all of a sudden you can get into really interesting terrain, psychologically and socially, um, that that is new and that is different and that is unique to the actual wobble form. So it's a different, so we're con- me and the writers that I'm working with are conceiving of the wobble as a different form than just, you know, fiction online. This sounds very interesting, and I, I remember when the web, you know, first came online, as it were, there was a lot of talk about, you know, the fictional possibilities, and that actually it seems you're a one of the first people to actually begin to realize those and bring them out. Yeah, it's, well, it seems to me that the publishing industry is where the music industry was in 1996. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I think I'm in a good position here. It, I'm sure you are. I've been speaking with Victoria Blake. She's the publisher of Underland Press. Thank you for joining me, Victoria. It's good to be here.
You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.